It's such an honor to have you in the house this morning. Uh, Pastor Chad, if you will come. Let me have that microphone. I'm gonna ask Pastor Chad, just everybody remain standing, Chad Everett. I wanna introduce this guy to you because I cannot t stand over there. Uh, <laughs> That's one big guy. Now oh, come on up here. Yes. Um, Y'all now know why I did that. And uh, all the way from North City, Illinois, the Rhodes Church. Come on, let's give it up for the Rhodes Church. My Lord. And. I just want him to greet you for a moment, and tonight, tonight, he'll be ministering. Uh, Pastor Chad and his team are literally a, a mimic, if you will, in a, in a good way of everything that God's doing here in Dawsonville with the baptismal waters. There, there's absolutely no let off of the fire of God in their church, in their waters, and all the way from Illinois, and it's just a delight to have him here today. This is the church. Remember the video we showed of the young fella? You can turn these monitors off, thank you. Remember the young fella that we had by the name of Tate that was healed of autism? Well, this is that church. He's gonna be bringing us an update on that tonight, as well as uh, other miracles. Pastor Chad, just wanna encourage you just to greet our people. Thank you, Pastor Todd. I just thank you so much for the privilege to be here. Welcome from Southern Illinois and the Rhodes Church. And so thankful for what God is doing here in Dawsonville. Thank Pastor Karen and Pastor Todd. Uh, Pastor T Todd's been to our church three times. Pastor Marty and Paul have been to our church. And so it's just a privilege to see what God is doing, that he gets all the glory and praise for everything that, uh, that happens, that it's the name of Jesus. So we just keep pointing people to him, and we just encourage you to keep pressing into more of Jesus, pressing in to touch him. Come tonight, not expecting to hear from me, please. There's nothing special about coming to hear me, but I want you to come expecting to hear from Jesus. I want you to expect to come to touch him and encounter him. He's going to change your world. He can impact you in ways that no words can, no sermon can, no song can. The living, breathing Jesus is alive and well, and he wants to touch your life. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. All right. Yeah. Father, I thank you for what you have already started in the spirit this morning. I thank you for the incredible presence that we feel and we sense. And Lord, I thank you that even as testimonies and the word goes forth today, now and tonight, that people from all over this region, North Georgia, will make their way here because Lord, when you, when you declare in your word that the word testimony means that God will do it again, I release into the atmosphere autism healed in the name of Jesus. Mental fatigue, mental fog, mental illnesses healed in the name of Jesus. Cancers and tumors healed in the name of Jesus. Now, everybody listen to this. This is, this is crucial. A few weeks ago, we shared that testimony of Tate. And that night, people came from everywhere with children and adults that had perhaps autistic uh, tendencies or actually diagnosed with autism. No miracle that we've ever seen, and that happened at North City at the Rhodes Church, received more rebuttal, outcry, and online persecution, if you can say that. I just heard of a lady that said this after hearing Tate's story. She's from a different state. Of how Tate got into that water one way and came out of the water completely different. This is what we heard. She says, I have a, a, a child with autism. And even if there was a such a thing as magic waters, 
She's completely misinterpreting what's happening here. She said, if there was such a thing as magic waters and people who got in would get healed, I would refuse to take my son because God made him the way he is. Autistic. That is a representation of a portion of the body of Christ that doesn't understand the power of a touch from Jesus that can take any situation, ailment, sickness, disease, autism, mental retardation, handicapped, that one touch from him can change it all. You've, you sense the spirit that the North Georgia revival is fighting against in many cases, in many situations. But tonight, and even this morning, faith is going to be lifted high. You're in the right place today and at the right time. Come on, let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. Yeah. I want to read, just remain standing for a moment. I want to read three scriptures, and then you can be seated for just a while. I want to continue the series that I started on prayer today. I am going to be here for some time, uh, for the next several weeks, I'm sure. I want to read uh, three scriptures today on prayer. Acts chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 12 that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, now this is verse 13 of Acts 1. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Verse 14, jump down there. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Go to Acts chapter 4. Verse 23, they began to pray to the Lord for boldness to proclaim the gospel. Peter has been arrested, John arrested. They called a prayer meeting, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. I long for the days that our prayer meetings here at Christ Fellowship Church, we are in the midst of Seeking the face of God in prayer and the place literally shakes. If it happened in Acts 4, it can happen in the 21st century. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 6. Verse 1. Now in those days... As the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint. And the complaint was that the widows were not being serviced in the sense of being taken care of. Because the church was growing so fast, there was a lot of avenues that the leadership had to handle and to take care of. Verse 2, then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You may be seated. Charles Finney once said, and I'm going to pull this up on the screen, and those of you at home can see this. Make sure that you take a picture. Charles Finney, who probably was one of the greatest preachers and revivalists known into the history of Christianity, said these words, we have, we have had instruction <clears throat> until we are hardened. It is now time for us to pray. Leonard Ravenhill 
said this, what has hell to fear other than a God-anointed, prayer-powered church? The devil does not fear our preaching, our programs, our ministries, our systems, our processes, our policies, our worship, and all of those things are vital components of the church. But he doesn't fear them like he fears prayer. I stand before you this morning knowing if I've ever preached a series that is the will of God, I stand before you with the utmost confidence that this is the will of God for our congregation. I, as an observer of humanity, feel this. I do not believe that the chaos that in which we are experiencing in our society is anywhere from slowing down. Can you give me an amen on that? We are seeing guests in our culture of unbelievable perversion, wickedness, hopelessness abounds. I'm seeing it on the news, I'm reading about it online, violence is everywhere. It is appalling what I'm seeing overtaking our culture and our society. Would you agree with me this morning? It seems like every day I will watch something and something will crawl, come across my, my computer and, and my phone and, and I go, how can it get any worse than what it is? And then somewhere, somehow, someone invents a new way to hurt, to maim, to lame, to kill, or to pervert. It seems, though, that while all of this is going forward, there seems to be little resistance from the church. I may be mistaken, but it seems that the church is eerily quiet and still. But God is doing something, if not just here and at the Rhodes Church in North Illinois, God is stirring a remnant of his body that are fed up with where we are as a society. So the question begs to be asked, where is the church? Where is the church? Where is that voice of stability and civility and common sense? Where's that voice crying in the wilderness? Where is this bastion of life and peace that we so desperately believe we have? Where's this beam of hope? She's not dead. She's alive. She's coming forward. But right now, she seems very, very docile. Do I have anybody in the house that will be in agreement with me? Yeah. Over the last decade, and maybe more so, by and large, the church has retreated. We've hidden ourselves, and it seems that we've linked arms with what's going on in our culture. The last three years, I've watched the church get intimidated by the cultural bullies in our society that threaten you and threaten me that if we speak anything that does not go with the mainstream of liberal thought, that we're going to be canceled. And not only online, but in-person persecution will follow. There'll be ramifications if you speak contrary to what three to 5% of people in our society actually believe. Okay, I'm going somewhere. Hang on. Touch your neighbor and say, buckle up. The church has been intimidated by wokeness. 
that demands for us to conform. And that same spirit dares us to speak. I watched with horror when COVID hit and Black Lives Matters took center stage. I watched with horror churches fold under the spirit of fear. But things are changing. Somehow we thought that if we would bridle our tongue and lessen our convictions and didn't talk about standards, that somehow there would be an acceptability of the culture that somehow they would embrace us, like us, and come to us. No, they got exactly what they wanted. Silence. They got exactly what they wanted, conformity. And I think the church has embraced the mindset where we just kind of, as we're tucking ourselves away, there's this optimistic hope, this desperate hope that we're thinking somehow some way things are going to get a little better. Perhaps this nightmare that we are in will literally just improve overnight. As it came overnight, it will improve overnight. But I was told by a wise man one time that hope is not a strategy. Hoping is not enough. We've lost too much ground, and I do not believe things will ever get back to the way they used to be. Mm -hmm. This is a new reality. It's now our playing field. Talk to me. It's a new reality. Where we are is not where we were four years ago. Where we are right now is rugged. It's uncharted waters for the Western church. The battlefield has shifted. And today things are different. But the great Oswald Chambers said it this way, and I want you to write this down if you will, the frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. The church has become too cautious, afraid, intimidated. We do not want to say things that would make a particular segment of our society uncovered because we're called to reach all men and all women. Therefore, we never want to be controversial. The only problem with that, the very founder of the New Testament church, Jesus himself, was anything but compliant and affirming. Jesus was extraordinarily offensive in what he said and how he lived and how he demonstrated kingdom. And the church, in order to operate and to live in that type of dimension, it will take us embracing the same mindset and approach that Jesus had. Your Bible, New Testament says, let the mind of Christ that was in him also be in you. This cannot be a time of timidity and caution for the church. It can be a time of great advancement, wonderful wisdom, and discernment, but caution, no. We are at war. Things have changed. Hmm. For too long, the devil has dealt with a docile and compliant church, but not this church. Not here, not today, not now, not on our watch. He has dealt with comfort-seeking church. But my friends, the devil better prepare himself 
to not deal with sheep any longer, but to deal with lions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love what Atticus said one day. He said this, he said, keep your head up. You are a lion. Don't forget that, and neither will the sheep. I feel that the Lamb of God is arranging an army, a warring army. And I believe the bride, the church, is about to emerge and to fall into her ranks, and she will be different than what she has been. The lions are being released. And hell is about to feel the fury of the fangs and the claws of a tenacious, warring, and praying church. This is a new era and a new season. I believe it with all my heart. Psalm 144 verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war. Winston Churchill served as prime minister, and I read this to you because I find it so fascinating. In 1940 to 1945 in the United Kingdom in World War II, and as you know, as you study history, he was a resounding voice of calm and, and hope and, and, and literally encouraged his people not to give in to the Nazis, but to literally come and to fight with her with sticks, with rocks, with bats, or with whatever type of weapon that they could find. I believe Churchill will go down in the history and, the, and literally the Chronicles of Man as being one of the most profound leaders the world has ever known. But he had this to say about America. He made a very acute observation about our country. He says, you can depend on America to do what's right after she has tried everything else. And I think we're in that time right now as a government, as we're watching hundreds, if not thousands, every day being slaughtered in wars across the land, across the globe. You can depend on America to do what is right after she's tried everything else. And I feel that this is where the church is as well. I believe you're going to be able to depend upon the church mm -hmm, to do what's right after she has tried everything else. We're in trouble as a culture when churches do this. We are in a different time. a drag show at church. We are living in a culture and in a time that sheep, docile, quiet, lazy, fat, indifferent, calloused, carnal, distracted sheep is no match for the spirit of the air of which you and I are battling within driving distance of this house of worship. I do not blame our government. I do not blame our society. But we lost the culture when preachers tuck their head in their proverbial turtle shell and refuse to address these issues. Our silence was a spirit of accommodation. And this is mainstream, becoming more and more mainstream. 
in our society. It gets worse. Universities are now having classes of hard porn as an art form where 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds will go into a classroom to watch an hour of two hours of porn in order to report upon it, to talk about the offenses of it, how they're not treating one another kindly, stereotypical roles, if you will, and now they're giving college credit to students that can come to a university. This used to be outlawed. This used to be an imprisonment offense. Come on now. But now it has been accepted. Alaska government meeting has an invocation for Satan. All the while, we're sitting in our palaces of praise and worship. All the while, we're worried about being sensitive to seekers, to not watch them to be offended in any way. So we have made our presentation of the gospel of how Jesus can bless your life, can be an addition to your life and bring peace and harmony to your life and fulfill your dreams and your destiny and your purposes. And in doing so, we have avoided controversial issues of which Jesus himself and his disciples never withdrew from. They were willing to die for issues. They were willing to die for a standard. They were not willing to tuck their head into their turtle shell for self-preservation, but they felt that they were the salt of the earth and the light on the hill. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? The deceased world-renowned evangelist R.A. Torrey said this, I have a theory that there is not a church, a chapel, or mission on earth where you cannot have revival, provided there is a little nucleus of faithful people who will hold on to God until he comes down. In my heart of hearts, there's a part of me and I am torn on the inside that there is some little flicker of flame in my spirit that I have faith in men and women of God that lead churches, churches and I desperately believe that we will begin to do what is right after we have tried everything else. That somehow there will be a revival upon the leaders of our land. I'm not talking about the political leaders. They can enter there as a bona fide Christian, but many of them get polluted and converted with power and they compromise. I am not impressed by anyone who runs for office and says, I am a believer. Our hope is not in Washington. The greatest influencers of our land are men and women that don the pulpit every Sunday. They have greater influence than the mayor and the city councilmen and the city councilwomen of their cities and towns and villages. And there's something on the inside of me that says maybe we will begin to do what is right after we have tried every single thing else. To God that there would be a lighthouse on the edge of the ocean shore that as sinners are in perilous waters will look to and say, there is a 
beam of hope. There is a light shining in the midst of the storm that knows that it can weather every storm and that it is true at every situation as they come in and out of the bay, in and out of the gulf. There has to be a preacher somewhere, a woman of God somewhere that says, I am going to stand upon the word and not be influenced by who gives and who comes and societal norms, but I will preach the gospel to the very end, even if it costs me my life. Where are the John the Baptist that when the most powerful man on the planet at the time, Herod, runs by in a chariot and John the Baptist comes up out of the baptismal waters and said, Herod, you are in sin and you're having a relationship that is adulterous. But if that was one of our churches today, they will say, no, let's keep it quiet. Let's not make things too controversial. Let's create a culture where the unsaved can come in and feel comfortable and hear our dynamic presentation of the gospel. Herod would have slipped into one of our church services and heard the wonderful, cute principles and life enhancement steps and never been challenged about his adulterous heart. John the Baptist, that voice in the wilderness says, I do not become a man that is swayed by political opinion. And I love my life not unto death. I love my life not unto death. I will give whatever I am supposed to give and say whatever I am supposed to say. And as you know, it cost him his head. Can you imagine if there were about a dozen to 24 pastors in our country Because they were so outspoken, so threatening, and so full of God that they were silenced, imprisoned, and killed. Not this cute, skinny jean swagger crud that we're seeing. But somebody that's been with God in the dark that has met with him in the closet with the door shut, the phone on the outside, that has his nose on the carpet, her nose on the floor, laying prostrate before the Lord and literally saying, God, whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. However you want me to say it, I will say it. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. But God just promised me one thing as Moses cried out, Lord, I will not go unless you go with me. This is what our culture is dying for. That's what mothers are clinging and wanting for. They're watching their children go down these pathways of darkness and deeper darkness, and they're concerned, but they're afraid of saying anything because they'll be called a bigot and narrow-minded. Families are looking to the women and men of God that will simply say, here's what God's word says. Here's God's standard. It's never going to change. There's no compromise to it. This is what the infallible, inerrant word of God says. Oh, to God, that there'll be some young people in this house that will hear me, and you'll not be infatuated by the bells and whistles of another type of church that, that, that brings all of the things to the, to the floor, and there's a great entertainment value, and you get swept up in that emotion. But when you look underneath the covers, and you peek behind the door, and you find there's no power here, there's presentations there's productions, but there's no power here. The lame walk in and stay lame. The deaf come in and they can't hear. The blind walk in and they can't see. Oh, to God that some of our young children and young men will be raised up and say, Dear Lord of heaven, I, I, I don't want to be uh, this type of model. I don't want to be this type of minister, God. I want to be like Smith Wigglesworth. I want to be like John G. Lake. I want to... My question this morning is, is there a church, is there a group of people that will contend for a move of God until God comes down? It will not come cheap. It will not come easy. It will not be light. We are in war. Every war, there's casualties. Every war, there's sweat. Every war, there's fatigue. Every war, there's blood spilling. 
And to think that we are in the biggest and the greatest war known to mankind, the spiritual conflict of good and evil, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And we feel that we can sashay ourselves into a revival and not shed blood. Callous on your knees. Rejection from loved ones. Tiredness of body. Because we've been in churches that demand nothing other than your attendance and your money. And when you come into a house of war, you come into a house of conflict, you come into a house of kingdom, I'm here to tell you, it's going to stretch you from the top of your head to the bottoms of your feet, from inside to outside. It will stretch your relationships. It will challenge your priorities. But heaven will record the investments. There's weight. There's weight on that. Heaven is recording every move you make, every attempt to obey God, every sacrifice, every challenging conversation that you had, every friend that says, I got to defriend you or unfriend you because you you now have this conviction and now you are dead to me. Don't think that you could ever come into a house that is in the midst of revival and everything in your life stays the same. Everything in your life when you come into the midst of the war, everything's shifted. Your life is turned upside down. <laughs> Stand your feet all across the room. I'm not done, but I feel the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands. Begin to worship. Come on, begin to worship. Angels are coming. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, make us that church. Go ahead and say it. Lord, make me that person. Make us that church, not rude, ignorant, Lord Jesus, but Lord, make us the church full of compassion, full of love, full of mercy, but God fixed and forthright, not compromising in any regard. Loving, tender, kind, gentle, but fixed. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. John G. Lake, I mentioned him just a few moments ago, was a world-renowned evangelist. In the beginning of the 20th century, John G. Lake was a man that believed in the healing message of God and traveled the world and signs and wonders were done. But his ministry was marked by prayerfulness. He sought God. He went to God, and God came to him. He once told a story about an angel that appeared to him while he was reading the book of Acts. So he's going through the book of Acts like we did this morning and reading in three accounts of prayer. And as he's reading the book of Acts, an angel comes and pointed to him each time the Spirit of God was poured out in the book of Acts. And the angel would show him that every time that there was an outpouring of the Spirit in the book of Acts, it was preceded by a season of prayer. And then the angel told John G. Lake this, and he wrote it down. The angel says, this is Pentecost, as God gave it through the heart of Jesus. The angel told John G. Lake, strive for this. Contend for this. Teach people to pray for this. For this and this alone will, be, will meet the necessity of the human heart. And this alone will have the power to overcome the forces of darkness.
The angel added, and before the angel left, he said one last thing to John G. Lake. Pray. 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 Teach the people to pray. Prayer and prayer alone. Much prayer, persistent prayer, is the door of entrance into the heart of God. I've watched for the last two Monday nights as nearly 200 people gathered together for prayer. I watched on Wednesday night as nearly 100 people gathered for prayer pre-service. I watched over 100 people last Saturday night, not last night, but last Saturday night, around 150 people gathered together for prayer. I've never been more excited than I am at this juncture where we are as a church family. I walked around this sanctuary and wept and cried because I know of the promise that God gave me. He said, if you will consistently have over 100 people praying, he says, it will be unbelievable. Todd, you will see things that your eye has never seen before. We are on the precipice of the shaking that this church has never, ever encountered before. It has started, and yet there is a shaking coming of like this church has never known before. <laughs> Satan's greatest work in this house is not disunity. It's not an accusation from the outside. It's not persecution that perhaps you or myself are experiencing. The greatest threat to the work of God of the North Georgia revival on week 220 is not a moral failure. It is not a relationship failure. But the greatest threat to what God is doing here is an inattention to prayer. It is when it becomes a literally a nothing to you. At the moment that your heart is not stimulated to join the army of God, your heart is cold and backslidden away from the things of God. We have learned over the last four weeks, the only thing that moves darkness back is not the preaching nor the worship, not those two alone as important they are, but the thing that gains ground for the army of God is when God's people gather together and seek the face of God in prayer. And it is in the midst of the praying and the seeking God and the dying to self that our preaching and our worship and our groups and our systems and our processes take on another dimension of power and authority. If we fail to pray corporately as a body, then we fail everywhere. The devil knows this. The devil doesn't like me to talk about it. But I'm going to stay here until the largest attended service at Christ Fellowship Church is our prayer meeting. I'm not backing off. You can roll your spiritual eyes, not at anybody's doing it, all you want to. You can yawn yourself into a backslidden stupor, and you may think that it is nothing more than religious rhetoric, but I want you to hear what am I about to say from the depths of my soul. The greatest responsibility that I have as a pastor is to host the, per the presence of God personally and corporately in this house, and the only way I know to do that is to walk softly and humbly and broken before him and broken before you, to live a life of trying not to offend my brother 
other or to offend God with everything and anything I do, by what I watch on television and what I allow to enter my ears. I do not want to grieve the dove of God, but I also know one of the greatest responsibilities that I have is to raise up a praying church, a church that is going to be triumphant, it's going to be militaristic, it's going to be advancing, it's going to be... This praying church is going to garner the attention of heaven and the attention of hell. Everywhere I read, every story that I come across about revival and sustaining a move of God, where the earth, where they are, begins to shake because of the thundering voice and the thundering spirit of God is so strong and so tangible and so manifest. Everything that I had in my eyes on, every book I put it in my hand about revival, every revivalist say, preacher, pray, preacher, pray. Get your church to pray, not to come up with another conference, not coming up with another album, not coming up with another light system and sound system, but he says, pray, get your people to pray, and I will move heaven and earth on your behalf, giving glory in this house. Holy Ghost, thank you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit. You will quit before I do. You will leave before I leave. I'm not backing off. I'm not slowing down. And you may be thinking, well, I need to find another church. I need to be fed. I need encouragement. That's fine. I get it. You just leave your pacifier right there on the chair. Some of y'all been saved for a long time and you're still sucking on the pacifier. I gotta be fed. I gotta get nourished. Why don't the, Lord, why don't the pastor ever encourage me? Why don't he always up? Why don't we talk about prayer? He doesn't even know how exhausted I am. I got 17 kids. Doesn't he know? Just leave the pacifier there. I guarantee you, you can find some place that has a flavored pacifier to get you to come. And it'll be exactly what you like. God told me seven years ago, five to seven years ago, he said, Todd, do not build me a church full of attenders, but build me an army that I can use. I'm just looking for somebody ready to enlist. I'm looking for somebody to, dear God in heaven, I feel it. I'm looking for somebody to simply say, I, you know what? It may cost me a limb. It may cost me time. It may cost me a hobby. It may cost me friend, but sign me up. Sign me up. All I'm asking is for you to come one hour a week, either Monday night or Saturday night, and come and pray. Come and pray. Just come for one hour. Literally for 57 minutes. It's on the dot every single time for three and a half years. The 200 is going to turn to 300. Ah. The 300 is going to go to 350. 350 is going to go to 400. 400 is going to go to 450, 500, 600, 700. We're going to have to go to multiple services of prayer. Overflow rooms of prayer. While we're praying inside, some of you are going to be marching around the building. Some of you are going to begin to circle the 15-acre parking lot or 15 acres of land that we have. Some of you are going to go up out on the street corner and just begin to pray as cars pass by. All of a sudden, they're going to feel the presence of the Lord and say, my God, why did I feel convicted over my sin? Where? I got to find that light. I got to find the light. I got to find the light. And they feel themselves pulling into 139 Hightower Parkway, and they'll come up, and you'll go to their window. Hey, how can I help you? I don't know. I got conviction in my heart. I just don't feel like I'm right with God. Worship team, come on up. It's unusual. It's extraordinary. It's not atypical. And so when a church chooses to do this, come on up on hands here. You got a voice of an angel. Yeah. 
So when a church chooses to do this, there's all types of swirling in the atmosphere. I love this story. Can I close with this one story? Everything that, I, that I'm sharing with you is just for a point. You need to pray. In October, I'm releasing all of this in a book about prayer. The publisher was so excited. They said, we want to put this in every pastor's hand around the country. Every pastor's hand. In 1857 and in 1858, during India's mutiny against Great Britain, listen to this, the soldiers, British soldiers soldiers were camped outside the city of Delhi when the British commander gave the order for his men to attack the city. Medical personnel began to move among the troops to determine who among them was fit for battle. A young soldier lay wounded. He's trying to find those that can go back into the fight. And that young soldier was on his bed laying wounded and the medic looked at him and the young soldier pleaded, sir, please don't declare me unfit for battle. It's just a fever and the sound of the bugle will make me well. Sir, Don't declare me unfit for battle. It's just a fever. And the sound of the bugle will make me well. Christ Fellowship, you have proven yourself faithful. You have answered the call. You've gone above and beyond any people group I've ever been associated with in my life. I watch you pray. I watch you come. I watch you serve. I watch you give. I watch you cry. I watch compassion demonstrated at every altar service. I watch such compassion and tenderness as you hand out a towel, you help someone in a tent, or you don't leave their body as they're out in the spirit and you silently war over them because you have heard of the mental torment of their soul and their mind. And you watch over them as if they're your own children. You brood over them. You hover over them. I watch you. I watch you come in on Mondays at six o'clock and a baby strapped to your chest and one on your back. I watch you as you push your stroller, moms, and you pray in the Holy Spirit as your infant giggles or cries or sleeps. Even at that six months or eight months year old infant opens his eyes and all he sees is a mother pushing a stroller and her mouth moving. He has no idea that that 125 pound woman is moving heaven and earth as she moves that stroller. That little child has no idea that mother is preparing a way in the wilderness for her child. She's warring in the spirit in the house of prayer, not at the house at the home while the Fox News, CNN is on and you're preparing your dinner for your family. But no, you've made the sacrifice to come into the house of God, the house of prayer. And you're warring over that child that drugs will never enter his body. Alcohol shall never drip on his lips. That his body will be kept sexually pure until the day of his marriage. She's warring in the spirit. But not only for her child, but she's warring for our youth as well and our children. I watched as children lay up against that rock 
over here by this baptistry and lay their hands on it. Four-year-old children. Adults, do not let a four-year-old carry your weight. But God will use anybody. He'll use anybody that's willing. The greatest call on this church is not to preach the gospel. We do that. Our greatest burden is not to become a worshiping church. We already do that. Or even a mission-minded church. We do that. The greatest call on this church is to be a praying church. Then all these others immediately become magnified, engulfed with fire, and the tangibility of the presence of God, unlike we've ever known before. Prayer is the highest priority of the church. Tomorrow night, I will be in Middlefield, Ohio, but I'll click my phone on at 6 o'clock Eastern time. And I'll watch 200 to 300 of you in this room walking and praying. I'll be nestled up somewhere praying with you. I feel his presence. Standing feet all across the room. You have to make this a priority. It's inconvenient. It's obtrusive. It, it will just literally come in and just nudge its way into your life. You've got to give it room. You hear what I'm saying? Give it room. Accommodate this area of your life. One hour a week. One. One hour. Six o'clock tomorrow night. Psalm 144. Oh God. Prepare my hands for battle. Prepare my hands for war. As the glory intensifies, so will the opposition. It's an epic battle. I want to leave this earth fatigued, worn out, muscles tired, brain worn out, Scars on my body, scars on my spirit, having fought the good fight of faith and standing in his presence with barely breath in my lungs, completely exhausted with nothing else to do and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Prepare the way in the wilderness. Make the pathway straight. I sing this song. Joni wrote this song about a month and a half ago. It could not be more fitting than where we are. Lift your hands in this room. Let this be your cry tomorrow night, tomorrow night, tomorrow night. At six o'clock, all of us. Let's fill the whole room. Well, I don't know how to pray. Come, 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 just come. If you know how to say Jesus, sin revival. Jesus, Touch this community. Jesus, close the meth labs. Jesus, touch my child. That's praying. That's all you need to do. Oh, God, I seek your face. That's all you need to do. You don't have to be eloquent. Come, come, come. Even as we sing, you may want to come to the altar. The next three or four minutes, this is what we're going to do. If you want to come to the altar and pray, lay before the Lord. Ask him to get back in the fight. Come back into the war. Come right now, all across this room. Sing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you treat my 
you before you go. Lift your hands. Father, in this house, thank you that the bugle has sounded. Now your fevers are going. Your fevers are going. Join the fight. More than just attendance, war with us on your knees. Thank you for a warring body. We do not wrestle with flesh and we do not wrestle with blood. God, we wrestle with principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly places. Thank you that our weapons, Lord, are not carnal. Our enemy is not a particular people group. God, we're dealing with spirits over our land. Weapons of our warfare are mighty 
in God for the pulling down of the strongholds and the ruling spirits of the air. On this 15 acres, oh God, there will be a bastion of hope and glory and every sinner, every sick person can come into this area, Lord, as well as other revival churches, oh God, they're gonna come and they're gonna find breath and air and hope and life and forgiveness and healing. Expand our territory, oh God. Expand our territory. Shake this place like it's never been shaken before. And everybody in the house said amen. Amen, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right, tonight, tonight, listen to me before you leave. Pastor Chad, we're so honored to have you here. We know that you have a word for us. Be here tonight at five if you can for prayer. Church tonight, revival, you don't want to miss it. People from all over the country will be here to be immersed. Let's clear the pathway so that they have no resistance to the glory of God. Let's war today. Let's war today. Week 220. We'll go down in Chronicles of Time as a generational shaper. Families and individuals. And everybody leaves this room full of God, full of hope, full of peace. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. I'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock, week 220.